Welcome to Sounding Board Parenting, creating healthier human connections through the commonality of parenting, exploring the world of parenting with high-performing mums and dads from a range of backgrounds, industries and family dynamics. This week's guest is Andrew McCutcheon, who is an at-home athlete, stepdad to Alyssa, dad to Indy, Isla and Neve, a thinker, a creator, a mate, at-home chef, put her to bed specialist, and when that's all done, he's a husband to Fiona. Let's jump in. What roles would you say you currently play in life? My roles in life at the moment are definitely, first and foremost, uh, a father. I'm a father from the minute I wake up in the morning until the minute I go to bed, and then during the night, I'm reminded multiple times that I'm a father. Um, during the day, I lead a business and I'm an entrepreneur with um, a team of talented young people and we are doing great things in, a, in, a, in our space and that's my role there is to continually keep that business um, at the forefront of what we're doing. Uh, I have a role as a, a friend of a bunch of useless guys <laughs> who um, we all like to remind each other of our failings and make sure that the laughter keeps flowing in, in amongst all the the multiple crises we're having in our business and personal lives. Um, are most, of, other role, are most yeah. of them dads as well? Sorry for cutting in, but are, are most of them dads as well, Andrew? I think they're nearly all dads now. I think, yeah, I don't have, uh, I've got, a, I've got, no, I've got one holdout. I've got a guy that's like uh, in a bunker just refusing to, to, to give in to um, committing to anyone and uh, having any small human beings. So hi, Mick, um, keep hanging in there. <laughs> That one friend. And I think my last role is really for myself. Like I, I do, I'm very careful now as a as a slightly more experienced father to maintain my relationship with um, myself and my my body and my my uh, my how do I say this? My mind, my my spirit. I think it's it's very easy as a father to forget that one of your important roles is to maintain your identity. It's to um, maintain the things that, that keep you um, powered up for the day. So I would include uh, it's an important part of my day to spend time on myself and, and make sure that my role as a, as a person with an identity is not corroded by any, any of the other roles. I love that you mentioned that. Uh, it's something, it's a topic that I've, I've been pondering a lot lately in, in the space of self-care and, and it's a conversation that, that my, my fiance Jess and I have had a fair bit in terms of identifying with, with certain roles as well um, and the way that we've seen it, whether it's with past generations compared to now. And, and I suppose my opinion, um, which differs from hers, is, is parenting and, and fathering may be the, the most important role that I'll, I'll ever have. Um, but... I don't identify 100% with that as that's who I am. What's your, your thoughts on, on that? Oh, I think it's a journey. It's a good point you make. Uh, and I think that the difference between, if we're talking broad strokes here and these are wild generalisations, is that uh, mothers are more uh, quicker and happier to identify with other women um, as mothers. And there's a, there's a real quick bond that's formed and I think men have a long way to go in putting their role as a father up the top of the tree in terms of the way that they identify with other men. 
Uh, there was a bit of a movement on LinkedIn about a year ago where a man suggested uh, that other men put instead of their, their role in their workplace on LinkedIn first, they, they put their role as a father if they are one um, because men, when it's broken down, they will admit that, that they will agree that that's their primary sort of driver in life. Um, but having said that, I, I think that there's a risk that um, your role as a father corrodes all of your other um, roles. And in the same way that work stress and your, your role as a, in my case, an entrepreneur or um, your whatever role you have at work, I think each of these roles can threaten to consume us if we're not careful. But uh, I do think that men uh, are less comfortable identifying as fathers as, as their first sort of identifier with other men. I think that's one of the things that we're probably breaking down a little bit with the fatherhood, which is to encourage men to to meet each other on that level playing field of, or meet each other on that common ground of fatherhood as opposed to, because if you ask a guy in Melbourne, hey, mate, um, who are you? You'd be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a, um, run a tech company and I'm a barrack for the, the pies and, uh, you know, I drive a Holden and- You're uh, not a pies fan, are you? <laughs> No way, mate. No, no, no. This is, I'm describing someone I wouldn't have anything to say to. Okay, we can um, continue this conversation then. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm giving you a long-winded answer, but it's a really complex question. But, I, yeah. and I, but we're encouraging men to say, um, hi, you know, um, dad, got a couple of kids that are this age and this age, and, uh, and putting it, you know, there's a, there's a real, there's a point, there's a reason that women are so quick to identify with each other as mothers, and that is that quickly they can start to help each other and there can be a sense of, you know, they build their network very quickly because they meet on that ground, and I think men have, have a lot to learn from women in that way. But back to your original point, I, I think it's completely true that if you identify with being a dad too much, then there's a real risk to your identity, and I think you, you're probably building yourself up for a midlife crisis if you jump too heavily into, well, I'm a dad now and everything else is... Uh, by the wayside because w- what tends to happen when you do that is that you hit 50 and you, you wonder who you are anymore and, you know, you, American Beauty, the movie, starts to happen for you. Well, that's it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because even even from from my standpoint in that early phase, um, which I'm a believe that everything happens for a reason, however, in that early phase of, of being a dad, um, that's something that I just I jumped in 100%. Whereas it, it didn't take long for me to realise that I started to neglect those other those other roles, I suppose you'd, you'd call them, whether it's creator, learner, lover, um, employee, uh, employer. So it's, um, yeah, it, it is an interesting topic and something, like you said, that's that's ever evolving as well. So it's it's actually a good segue. You mentioned the fatherhood there. I'd love to um jump into the the story behind the fatherhood, um and also the the journey behind the book as well. Look, the the fatherhood is is uh, <laughs> it's there's so many ways I can tell the story, and I, I always pause when someone asks me because I think I wonder which is most. What do I feel like telling today? Because there's a few ways it came about, but really, at at its heart, it was three guys who. Uh, had young families who uh, had met each other in, in, a, in the same phase of life and, and started WhatsApping each other and meeting each other in pubs and, and having conversations about what was happening in our lives and realising as media people, all three of us are essentially from the media, we realised that this wasn't a conversation that was happening at scale. 
And this wasn't a conversation that um, other people could could sort of join in on. And this is the the star, the celebrity side of the story is that right in the midst of, of us thinking, maybe we should scale this conversation. Maybe we should make this WhatsApp group accessible to the 6 million men, 6 million fathers in, in Australia. Um, at that time, I was uh, on a very fancy work trip to Monaco to to spend some time with um, Tag Heuer and Chris Hemsworth and, and Matt Damon for a trip. And after breaking down the, you know, my, my intense um, in, intimidation of these um, these megastars, uh, and after a few beers, the stories that started to come out from us were um, all about fatherhood. And, and again, there was there was really quite a, a sort of a group therapy feel to our conversations over the next two or three days as we talked about uh, our lives and the challenges we were having with kids. At that point, Chris was contemplating leaving LA to come back to Byron and you know, big big life changes that for him were all about the family. So as much as it seemed like, you might think that these guys don't have uh, anything relatable in terms of the way their lives are going as dads. It was the same conversation. So then when they said, hey, you know what, if you ever get, get anywhere with this whole dad thing that you're doing with your mates, like feel free to work us in. So Chris was on our first promo video um, talking about how he wants to be remembered as a father and and Matt's sort of had his in, involvement we've had and then they've connected us and we've, we've managed to find other celebrities because we knew that was the only way we were going to get a book published so <laughs> we, we worked in other celebrities and, and their own experiences of fatherhood so um, all of those things kind of wrapped up into something that we knew as a group um, that, that it was a conversation that other men weren't having in a, in a, in a way that was on a media type level that they could access and also after the after having it with Thor and Jason Bourne I thought well I've definitely got a I've got a story to tell people now <laughs> jeez you got a hollywood blockbuster there or more than one hollywood blockbuster don't you pretty much you've got a, a cross franchise uh, blockbuster there with uh, dad's dad's uh, dad's versus the all, all the evil guys and it, it it was a it was kind of surreal but at the same time I think it was a great and this is one of the things that we say and if anyone ever says, "Oh, you know, it's not it's fatherhood for celebrities is is easy because they're so rich," you know, it's actually a bit of a leveler. You know, Matt Damon's got a stepdaughter the same age as mine. He's had all kinds of interesting sort of experiences with his own stepdaughter, which we instantly bonded over because there's no that's that's a tricky one to, to sort of you can find yourself feeling very alone in that in that challenge. Um, and there's no rule book for that one. And then, of course, he's got three daughters, so do I. They're all the same. They're the same age gap apart. So uh, we had a lot to talk to <laughs> each other about, despite the fact that he could buy and sell me every day of the week. <laughs> how how awesome is that, though? That fatherhood was that commonality that created that that connection, which sounds like it, it was a genuine human connection uh, that was formed from from the commonality of of parenting for for people that like you just admitted, are in completely different worlds. Totally. And, look, uh, you, you know, you talked about your, before we started recording, you talked about your mission um, with with what you're doing and it, it's very aligned with, with ours and we, you know, but as media people, you know that for us to get, I mean, we've been on just about every TV show in Australia and the first thing they ask is, what's, uh, you know, what's Chris Hemsworth and Matt Damon like? And, you know, they, it's the it's the entry point for the conversation. But at the same time, it's uh, 
it's it's all about the fact that fatherhood and parenting is, is, is a leveler and that it doesn't get any easier. You know, you, you watch a series like Succession where you're watching, um, you know, a fictional story about potentially the, the Murdoch family or the Packer family and you think, well, with all that money, I suppose all the parenting problems would be solved and, geez, it's, it's anything but. I think uh, sometimes watching and, and hearing about celebrity and, and ultra-wealthy lives, it's you're quite... I think I'm quite relieved to, to be lower middle class. <laughs> it's, it's something that I think about a fair bit too. Just on on that trip that you talked about before that you shared with both Chris and, and Matt, are there any um, stories that come to mind that, that you think might be worth sharing from a, a parenting point of view that they um, they divulged with yourself? Oh, yes, there is one. There's a, a really good one actually and, and it gives it should give every parent listening a bit of a sense of relief that, uh, you know, it's not just them. Um, we are the guinea pigs uh, this generation in terms of the way that we have technology so integrated with our lives. So one of the things that Chris Hemsworth is is really working on on a day-to-day basis is not being as uh, head down in the phone and having more focused and really mindful time with his children that's not interrupted by technology. And I just found that so profound and relatable and you know, we really toss that one around for hours as in how do we how do we ourselves, because it's very easy to sort of be, you know, um, clutching your pearls about, oh, our kids are so screen addicted. Meanwhile, you know, monkey see, monkey do, as Chris says, and it's, it's we've got to look at ourselves and our own technology, um, you know, the, the amount that we're absorbed in technology and attached to it and, and, and interrupted by it when we're having special moments. And I found that to be a really interesting discussion that um, resonates for me every day because as an entrepreneur in a, in a startup, in a tech startup kind of space, as a, a media business that's, that's constantly having, we would have thousands of social media uh, notifications a day, some of them quite needing attention. So it's very hard to, to put that phone down and, and relax into um, being in your child's zone and being present for them. Um, but it's, and it's, I just found it pretty awesome to, to have that conversation with someone who, again, for some reason we think celebrities that have money have, have somehow got it easier than we do. But, um, you know, we really both had a good deep dive on ideas about ways that we can create exclusion zones from technology and the ways that we can, Really enjoy and like you've got a two year, two and a half year old at the moment. You're embarking on a period where you are going to have such pure and unadulterated connection with your child because they're, they're sort of pre-technology and desensitized, and, um, <laughs> or not yet anyway. What's that? He's not desensitized yet. It's it's um it is pure yes. right now, like you said. Yeah, you could take him out into nature, and you you put him down in the grass, and and Oscar will find something that amazes him and blows his mind and I think there's an opportunity in the first you know in the pre-technology years of your child's life to just have the absolute best of them and and to fight to read connect with the best of yourself because when you sit out there with um with a child in any natural environment or any any stimulating environment you you see the world through their eyes and it's just an absolutely beautiful place and it's it's a constant struggle to to get out of your own digital world and all of your notifications peeing off and get into their very simple world of connection with the things around them. And, and that's, uh, that's what we talked about. I think that was an awesome discussion. Do you see generally we're making progress in that space you talked about before of, of fathers uh, putting priority 
uh, on being a, a father? <laughs> it's such a broad question and I, I would love From to From your say experience that, and what you're seeing in your circles, I suppose, to, to maybe make it more specific. Yeah, no, it, uh, it's a really good question, even as a broad question. Is there generally progress being made in, in the battle against probably um, social media and technology and, and, and the battle for quality time? The best thing I can say um, about this subject is that we're, we're mindful enough to be trying and where you can see from the sheer volume of stories that we publish on the fatherhood about this exact topic, it's on everyone's minds. I think the worst case scenario would be if we all just passively said, oh, well, this is life now. Our dads had different distractions. They read the paper every morning and my grandfather used to listen to the radio intently from six till eight every night listening to the wireless. We've always had things around us, but I think we're very aware in this generation that there are toxic outcomes and that there are real dangers in just... Because the thing about... Um, what's it called? Dopamine. The thing about... Um, uh, modern technology is it actually panders to a very base human need, which is for, for constant hits of dopamine. So it's addictive. We shouldn't underestimate how serious and how um, genuinely addictive the, these these you know the, the what we're getting from from our devices is. Like it's a real battle. But the fact that we're talking about it, the fact that Chris and I talked about it, I would say we are making progress because we're more and more aware. Like in the first few years of Facebook, people probably didn't even notice how much time they were spending on it because it just, you were just, it was all a bit um, of a novel thing. Whereas now I think we're so aware of, and we're probably starting to see medium medium term consequences from um, from technology addiction and not setting boundaries that, uh, yeah, very good question and my answer is yes, we're making progress because we're putting ourselves under the microscope. We're not satisfied with um, lives that are increasingly disconnected. You know, when my wife and I are both on our phones in bed, I just get massively and instantly depressed and I say, let's not be those guys. Um, so the, the awareness piece is there and that's, that, that leads to the change piece. Take me through the, the story behind the moment you found out you were going to be a dad. Oh, oh this moment. Well, I'm going to actually put voice to something that I haven't before because the first time I found out I was going to be a dad, unfortunately, that, that baby didn't make it to term. Um, and that was uh, – okay, but I will tell you, I'm going to talk about that one because that was technically the first and that still remains my first sort of um, – moment of thinking about being realizing I was going to be a father so it was uh, one of those wife looking at instructions manuals very intently and and I walked over and said what, what's this what's this bit of paper and she said well it's a pregnancy test and I'm just having a really good look because and then that led to the yes it is two lines there's really not too many pages of instructions <laughs> <laughs> need to see if that's pretty straightforward um and yeah, that was uh, in that moment. I think uh, I, I, yeah, I, I was a million feet tall, and I felt like that was the my life was starting all over again. And even though that baby was not to 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 sort of um, make it to earth, it was something that I, I actually didn't. And this is the thing about men and miscarriage. I think that no one ever talks about the impact on us, but that that was the beginning of me as a dad. Not necessarily that didn't 
just suddenly go away, that feeling of being a dad, I felt like I was a dad from that moment. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. What, I suppose, flowing on from that, what challenges have you faced as a parent? Uh, well, there's, uh, the biggest challenge is what one that you talked about right in the beginning, which is around roles. Um, I, like you, gave myself over to fatherhood. It was so much better than I thought it would be that I just jumped into it and didn't see my mates for way too long and I didn't play guitar at all and I um, I neglected even my work, which was something that I, was, I, I continue to be pretty addicted to. So that to me is the biggest challenge of fatherhood is, is maintaining your identity, maintaining a strong sense of self, maintaining masculinity because I think it's a, it's a real challenge in the modern day because men, fathers are now doing things that are not typically masculine. We're, we're doing housework, we're doing um, cooking and cleaning, we're doing all the nappy changes, we're doing the get-ups through the night. Like These things all really challenge traditional views of masculinity, so I think it's important to maintain your own sense of masculinity and not to, to feel compromised by modern fatherhood. Um, but it's all around roles and it's all around you started on a, on a very important point, which is what roles do you play in your life and how mindful are you of maintaining uh, your, you know, your your balance across these roles? Because fatherhood should not necessarily mean that you become a shit mate and that you uh, no longer do what you need to do to keep your body right. You know, it's it's actually more important that you keep balance across your roles. So the biggest challenge for me, and at different points, I've swung the other way. Like it won't. On a, I'll never forget the first holiday we went on with our baby. I took my guitar and I was used to doing just creative projects when we travelled. So I took a guitar and we were in Hobart and I just felt inspiration strike and I thought I'm going to record a few songs while we're in Hobart. So I spent basically the whole week away in a studio at night and then writing songs during the day and I became very unpopular. And that was an example of, you know, you can actually swing back to other roles to compensate so the challenge is all about roles and it's about making sure that you don't in the process of becoming a father um, either flee your responsibilities and and you know become a workaholic uh, or become a full-time father and uh, neglect all of the other things that you you do to be you you mentioned the swinging between those roles i, I find that really interesting a close friend of mine who's actually expecting uh, his first child in the next month, so a really exciting time for him. And and it's interesting in, in the time in he, this part of his journey, he talks about it as, as a constant, um, or the pendulum of life in terms of trying to keep the pendulum bouncing between those different areas. And as soon as it gets stuck or goes too far one way, that's when you start to neglect other areas of your life. So it's really interesting uh, to hear that from someone who's about to enter that space of fatherhood. And, and I think it's very similar to what you mentioned there about um, it sounded like awareness, bringing awareness to, to I suppose, as, as many parts of your life as you can so you can constantly keep that pendulum swinging between, between areas. And look, it's, a, it's almost the most important topic. Of, of parenting because the thing about parenting is it's a, it's a gross and brutal 
compromise of of everything that you've held dear about life. Like it is, no one can prepare you for how compromised you'll be by parenting. It's it's just it's unfair. <laughs> like sometimes you you it's like I'm appealing for a free kick in footy, but there's no um, umpire there. I'm like, mate, this is it's ball. It's just holding the ball. And sometimes I look. That's what that's where the WhatsApp group with Jeremy and Luke started. I was like, mate, this is bullshit. This is just unfair. This is so fucked. Where's the rules? On the podcast, but but this this just isn't fair. Like I've had four nights in a row of getting up all night, and I've got a massive presentation to. You know, the brand I've been trying to pull onto to my site for three years on Friday and I haven't slept at sleep. So it's such a gross compromise of um, of it just, yeah, it's it's an incredible challenge to um, to not be sucked into, into parenting, especially now that fathers are expected, and rightly so, um, they're, they're expected to, to pull their weight and they can't just sort of pull the dad card and say, well, no, no, you're staying at home, Missy. And uh, and I'm gonna sleep in a spare room and, and get ready for my presentation tomorrow. So, you know, I think most modern dads would would be lying if they said they didn't yearn to be in the fifties every now and again because it was definitely a lot easier for dads back then. But I tell you what, those dads didn't have the the quality of relationship that we do with our kids. It's interesting you mentioned that because I think it was in the book. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a stat in there about the time that dads spend. With their children from the, I think it was the sixties, compared to to now, it was like three times on, on a three week. times, yeah, yeah, three times. It's so our dads basically spent, and again, this is no disrespect to, to our dads. Um, they were very much a part of a different generation, and there was a different structure to to the workplace and to everything at that point in time. So, uh, this fact is not meant to to be sort of a um, a virtuous way I look at us. It's just the way the world has changed. Um, but we, and this is why though the fatherhood exists, and this is why the book's suddenly out. It's because we don't have any idea how to how to how to do this. You know, we don't. You know, it was a lot. E- it was a lot easier when there were strict roles for dads. Like you kind of got a bit of a rule book. My dad would say to me, "Oh, I have so much easier in my day. You were breadwinner. You were disciplinarian. You know, you were." And the wife was a housekeeper, and you know there were very strict rules that, that, or there were categories that things could fit into. Whereas now it's just it's a free for all, and there's no structure, and we're having to to make our way in a, in a vastly different experience of fatherhood. What are some of the biggest parenting joys that come to mind for you? It's funny, actually. I was on a radio show this time last week about spirituality and parenting and i think for me one of the greatest joys of fatherhood and parenting is it brings you back in touch with your spirituality whether you like it or not because you know and i I tend to get misty in every single every single interview because i start talking about stuff like this but when you look at your kids sometimes or when you have these magical moments you just can't deny that there's something spiritual about life and the miracle of childbirth and that sense of, I don't know, did you get that when in the first couple of weeks were you just in the serotonin high after the baby was born? It's it's awesome you mentioned that because a, a recent guest of ours, Jesse Parker, described the exact same thing as, as almost being reborn 
when you enter that space of, of parenthood and she's actually called her company born Two, um, with the, the <laughs> similar sort of story behind it. And as soon as she said it, and as soon as you just said it, that whole, it just clicked again. It, it is that feeling of being born again. I, I often tell people that when Oscar was born, that's when I was, that's when I was reborn and I've entered mm. this new phase of my life. And, and I'm so appreciative of that. It sounds very similar uh, for yourself as well. That's the biggest joy, the, the reconnection with spirituality. The, the, I think a lot of cynicism, you can be, by the, I had my, how old were you when you had um, Oscar? 21. 21. Man, you hadn't built up, you hadn't been alive long enough to build up much cynicism. Um, so you were kind of still a kid yourself. But I was 35 when my first child, no, even older. I was 37, I think, when my first child was born. So you know, you can feel pretty well weary after that that long on earth. You know, you've seen mm. the best and the worst of humankind and then the ba- your baby's born and you, you do, you get a clean slate. You get, you get, there's no denying that there's a spiritual aspect to life. Whereas at 37 without kids, did I feel very spiritual? I just felt pretty worn out. So um, they do give you a new lease on life, which is a cliche, but it's true. And the other thing is for me, the joy was just no longer um, living a, a completely self-centered life and having, I was just so ready at that point to to pour myself and pour my attention into something else. And, you know, that's a, that's a selfish thing that I say there. I was just, but it's a little bit ironic because selfishly, I was just so happy to have something else <laughs> to 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 raise and to, to care for because um, I was tired of myself at 37, I'd say that. I was, I was very in love with my wife, but we, we definitely um, we were ready to, to make some human beings and, and let that joy come in, and it did. I love because everyone's got a different story behind, behind that journey as well. Um, I don't think there are two of the same, and it's interesting you mentioned there. So for, for Jess and I, both at 21, Definitely not planned, definitely unexpected, <laughs> but the similar similar effect in terms of just that, that reborn feeling that I suppose that purpose, that higher sense of, of purpose and, and that tunes tunes into what you're talking about when you, you say spiritual spirituality as well. And it's um it's something I I heard the other day listening to another podcast and they actually described it as a job promotion, whether you're 20 years old, 40 years old, or 60 years old, you're going to experience the same sort of challenges, whether you like it or not, whatever stage that you take on that, that management role or whatever it might be. And it was, it was a business related podcast. And as soon as they said that, the same thought popped into my head when it came to parenting, no doubt that there's different challenges. I'm sure there is at different stages of life. But I feel like there's some some constants there as well that are just going to be um, encountered whenever you you enter that space of, of parenthood. Oh, it's I would say there's a Khalil Gibran poem about breaking the shell of your understanding, and nothing breaks your entire construction of self, whether you're 60, 40, 20, as a child, because it, it is a it's a total game changer and a reset of priorities. And in, in lots of ways, a 60-year-old first-time dad and a 20-year-old first-time dad are going to have 99% commonality in, in what they experience and what they 
connect on. So I don't think I, while I differentiated myself from you by saying I was 15 years older or, or whatever it was, therefore I was more world weary. I think that that's a very small difference between us because I'm sure that like we've already, like you've already sort of said, we, we have a lot in common in the way that we're going about fatherhood and the, the, the amount to which it's changing us as human beings. And um, I, there's one other thing I'll say on this type of subject because it's a good opportunity to talk about um, the fatherhood and what we're trying to do with this. And, and if so, on the ABC last week, they said, Tell you've got one bit of advice to give dads. What are you going to tell them right now? And they put me on the spot. And in, in an instant, I just thought, Oh, I know what it is. It's so the other joy of fatherhood that. It took me about a year to get to that I could save. I could save you a year. I could save um, a new father a year here. I reckon is that if you go into fatherhood remembering this single fact, then you're going to be very, very happy. Which is that you can do it your way. You can dad it your way. There's there's a real sort of almost psychotic amount of information about, oh, you need to be prepared for this and you need to read this book and you need to, there's all of this preparedness and there's some sense that it's like a, an exam that you can somehow, you know, be ready for. Um, that There was just a moment with my first child where I took my child to Campbell Market in a horribly um, spontaneous way, as in I didn't have all the things you should take. <laughs> You know how it is. You yeah. just get really good at this stuff. But I just naively and very bravely, and in a way, I think I pat myself on the back because I was like, um, my wife said to me, you're not doing enough with our first child, Indy. You need to have some time with her alone. Therefore, I'm leaving uh, for a day and you're going to do everything with Indy by yourself and you're going to work it out. There's some express milk in the fridge. Um, good luck, Dad. Go for it. And uh, we did all this amazing stuff in that 24 hours together and I realised that even though I wasn't doing a swaddle exactly like my wife was and even though I did dinner in a very, very different way, I think I gave her spaghetti bolognese at a time when it probably wasn't appropriate. Um, she didn't die. Uh, she, We had a great time and I sort of thought to myself, hang on, maybe I can just do it in my own style. And then that idea has developed and in the fatherhood we really talk a lot about dads not feeling that there's some sort of benchmark in fatherhood because it's so personal and so individual and the way that you will do it to your best, the way that you will be your best possible dad, Sean, is in a very different way to the way that I will do it as Andrew. It's so liberating to think, oh, hang on, this is something I can just sort of, like if I want to play guitar to, to her from two years old and start trying to teach her um, Scottish dancing, I can just do it and she's totally. kind of mine and I can, I can do it. And it's so, no one told me that. There was always this sense of there was some kind of like good dad and bad dad benchmark or Set there was some kind right. of, yeah, there was some sort of like skill-based fatherhood that is just bullshit, but there is no skill-based fatherhood. There's just you knowing what you love to do and knowing and, and letting yourself do whatever you love to do with your kid and, and they will just respond to the joy of you living your best life. So that goes back to the first question about roles. Like when you're living your best life, um, I exercise every day with my kids. It's just part of my life now. It's only been a year out of six that I've done it and they now come to look forward to that part of the day and they'll just go with whatever you need to do to be your, be your best self and they'll, they'll become part of it and, and you will be the best dad you could ever be and it won't be like anyone else is doing it. And that's just a liberating thought. So there you go. <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that we could do a whole other podcast just on, on, <laughs> on the, the role that spirituality can play 
in parenthood because everything you said there, one, I think is beautiful and, and it definitely resonated with me in the way there was definitely, a, I don't know how it happened, but there was a day that I just realized that nothing's fixed or permanent. No. In, How good did you feel? Do you just feel a you just feel like you can those, fly? Those shackles, they just released and this sense of, of overwhelming freedom. And that wasn't just in fatherhood or parenthood, but just across all forms of or all of those roles that we're we're talking about as well. So I think we might have to um yeah, dive in that rabbit hole. Some, at, some at big some, there. Some There's point as well, dead. yeah. What I but suppose I, that, I reckon every dad has that day where they just go, hang on. I've had a day with the kids and I've, uh, it's been a bit of a shit show at times, but, geez, we've all had a good time. And then you kind of say, well, I give myself an A plus and you got an A plus. <laughs> Recognise the progress. There's, there's always progress to be, to be recognised. There's no, yeah, there's no set way to do it. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that, that idea that there's this skill-based uh, test that you need to pass or, or this set pathway. It's actually a good lead-in to... To what type of parenting did you experience as a child? I, by my dad's admission, he was was somewhat of the stereotype of the of the the previous generation dad, and I love my dad, and I, I bear no grudges, and I think he's been pretty hard on himself actually. But he he will say um, in moments where. I'll say, what's your regret? Do you have a regret? He says the same thing every time. He says, I should have spent my time with you when I was when you were young. So I had a very stable and a very loving family, um, but I did have a hell of a lot more time with my mum and that made us very close. Um, and I think Dad and I have made up for lost time, but I was a product of a, a, probably a very archetypal Australian traditional household mum was um you know the the housekeeper and did picked up the odd odd job here and there for a few hours a day but dad was very much the um the man out of the house he was a minister of uniting church so we had a his office was in the house so i probably did see a little more of him than others but i don't think he quite took as much advantage of that dynamic as he could have um but i have had enough life experience to know that I was very fortunate to have um, an engaged and um, very warm and loving father, um, even if he felt that he could have spent more man hours with us on a day-to-day basis. Um, he certainly didn't fall short in any other way and, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm a product. My loving nature and my trusting nature is, is a, a result of a father that did both. What other learnings did you did you take from your parents? <laughs> well, this is a real slippery one, Sean, because as much as I've said lo- lovely things, you do tend to react against your upbringing and, lo- and you do tend to do the things that, that you wished were done with you. Um, and I am spending <laughs> more time with my kids based on my dad's regret. Um, I think that we... There is a preciousness to the early years that are just gone um, when a child hits puberty and they become monstrous little beasts and then they sort of make their way of being back to reasonable human beings in about a decade. Um, So I think when you look at the scale of a little human being's life and then a big human being's life, I think um, the 
that dad's regret is profoundly in loud in my ears all the time because um, I I know that this golden era that you could maybe take for granted does not last forever. It's in fact a very small amount of time in the scale of a life. So um, I'm taking taking that regret and making sure I don't have the same one. Thank you for sharing that. What's your no What's your opinion on kids using technology? On your kids using technology? Uh, we're pretty defensive. We're, we're pretty. We feel like um, it's it's uh, you don't have to have a, a longitudinal study to know the impacts that that disengaging from the world and staring at a screen has on your on your wider sort of psyche and mentality. Uh, I want to raise social children who are trusting and gregarious and um, and interested in other people. So the skills that are needed for that uh, are not encouraged by screen time. However, I will say we've got a, we've got an app called Homer that the kids have used, and they've basically homeschooled themselves to, to read and write in addition to their primary and kinder schooling. So there are a lot of positives, and I'm going to I'm going to twist that a little bit and say that technology provides us with it all kinds of new and positive opportunities with our kids. Uh, certainly, do I worry about Indy's schooling and is she listening in class? Not really. <laughs> she she went through a period where, you know, she was probably in the, in the middle of the class as a prep, middle to the lower of the class because she uh, tends to be a bit of a have her head in the clouds, um, which is something I love because it means she's, I know she's creative and she's, she's just, that's something I relate to as a child when I was a child myself, that she had this app um, that she, she played with for a few months and is, is now the 99.7% percentile in literacy and numeracy. So it's, nice it's not plug. all bad. It's, it's not all bad. Homer is, is the app. I'm getting no money from Homer for any, any listeners that wonder. It's just one of those little things that I think it was advertised on Facebook or I saw it on ABC Kids or something and thought we'd give it a try. So there's definitely there's, there's good and there's certainly pros and cons to what uh, technology affords us with the way that we raise our kids. Um, it's not all bad, but I, I'm mindful at the end of the day, I want my kids to be able to look other children and parents and people in the eye and have conversations and be interested and, and realise that there are other human beings with different perspectives and lives um, intersecting with our own and for that, that basic sort of sociable aspect to be part of their, I mean, they're all on different spectrums of gregariousness and introversion. So I'm not asking them all to be social butterflies, but uh, the one thing I've noticed that gets deteriorated with a lot of screen time is interest in other people and engagement with other people. And that's what um, I'm engendering in them through, you know, the way that we walk about in the world. We, you know, we, I think that's the antidote to technology is to, to have your kids engaging with lots of other people and for them to, to enjoy it. I've definitely found it a constant challenge to, I'm not going to say balance because I don't think there's a balance, but to, to find a, to find the right time for consumption, which in my opinion is inevitable in, in today's world, and then match that with a high level of creation. And by creation, I mean being able to like you mentioned, using an app like Homer, for example, or to draw a picture using an iPad or write a story or 
whatever it might be, just being able to match that consumption with creation because it's inevitable a future really workforce. Good. It's a really nice binary, really nice. Just in terms of where we're going as a, as a society and a workforce, automation seems to be seen generally as, as it's going to be taking a lot of jobs away but in turn, it's going to be creating a lot of jobs as well, especially in, in that creative space. So it's it's something that, that plays on my mind a fair bit, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's so many implications of, of the world that we're heading into. And that that's why when I see creativity and in, in particularly, um, you know, the, the first child is definitely the one that you load most of your hopes and dreams onto just because you, you don't realise that it's a sort of a naive it's so much easier to be naive about your first child, but um, seeing that my first child had strong creative abilities meant that I was able to, I, I, I sensed that that was going to be quite a valuable asset as we go into these, into a more automated and more digitally, you know, or, or a more sort of disenfranchised world totally. where there's, there's a lot less uh, manual labor to be done and there's, and there's going to be increasingly less. There's going to be increasing awareness that AI and other things will never replace that one magical create creativity aspect, and that's uh, that's an important thing to to foster in your children. And that's uh, again, I think that can be fostered through um, through devices. And as you say, you can have just as much fun drawing on an iPad as you can on a bit of paper. But um, yeah, I. I I think for me, the real threat that devices pose is disconnection from the human beings around us. And and like I'm sure you've noticed this with your own wife. Like we all feel the threat that devices pose to our relationships, um, and just how <laughs> how alone together you can be, uh, you know, in your in your virtual worlds. So digital that, distraction. That's, it's that's the heart of it. It's but, huge, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's being able to. I suppose time block and then protect that time with everything you've got. That's yep. that's what we found. Staying staying engaged with each other and yeah, it's 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 a skill. It's a, just like any other muscle you develop and um, yeah, it's it's just as just as just as toxic in your relationship as it is in your children's lives and even in your own you know in your own addictions and. And vices, it's a, it's the challenge of our time, and that's that's what uh, you know. Thor and I got down to in the, <laughs> in, the in the big battle of ideas in Monaco. It was it was all about how that impacts on every aspect of our lives. So um, sounds like that trip was was a defining moment for you, in, in some ways, it was. And it, look, it's a little. Are they the two most interesting people I've ever met in my life? Of course not, but they certainly. It, it was somewhat of a. Um, no, I wouldn't say a revelation, but it was it was a real it, it was clearly a, a, a defining moment because when I got on the plane to fly back from Monaco, I wrote to Luke Benedictus, who was at that time the editor of Men's Health, and I said, "Mate, you've got to do more dad stuff in Men's Health. I've just got the best story for you. I want to do a column. I want to um, I want to create a section of Men's Health that's just for dads." And I then went on to write that column, and it was called "War on Dad Bod," which was not exactly what I had in mind in the first <laughs> instance. It was all that about just how that the mind sends the mind into overdrive, the visualization. 
So. Uh, it was no, it was a good column. It was a very real column saying, right, um, I've got a dad bod now and never have. We'll have to dig up that link. Throw Let's it in start the, the journey. No, please don't. Please don't. Do not put this <laughs> in the show notes. Let, let this let this let this lie where it let sleeping dogs, let sleeping dead bods lie. Um, You've done no, it. No, <laughs> I, I did jump off it off that boat and think I've got something. I knew it was an element. I've got instincts about media that are relatively well tuned after after 15 years or whatever. I just knew that it was the secret sauce that'd get us on sunrise, you know. Otherwise, we had no shot. Like Dad's a pretty, Dad's never on the agenda. Dad's are massively neglected as a as a group. You know, there's no, we don't have much dad advocacy, advocacy if you want to be punny about it. But no, there's there was a real extra bit of velocity that I knew the whole thing would get with that in it. So it was pretty defining. While we've got our, our futuristic caps on, let's say we're, we're 30, 35 years into the future. Your girls, my, my Oscar, are possibly entering the, the world of, of parenthood. What changes do you think the parenting world will experience in the future? I think nearly everything will start. In lots of ways, there'll be changes obviously that the world will be a different place and i expect that with the ecological disasters we're enduring one after the other and now pandemics there's no doubt a, a greater threat to some of the things that you and i have taken for granted in this generation we've had a safe environment we've had um you know we, we've had somewhat of a continuation of a period of stability i feel like we're entering a period of instability that's going to make parenting more challenging just on a on a sheer practical level as in um the world will be a different place in 35 years in terms of its uh, how we move through it um it's a really good question it's one i haven't pondered at all um, but i think while there'll be changes like that uh, i the core challenges will remain the same which is how do we uh how do we deal with with the the like i said like i've said several times how do we how does how do my my daughter's transition the the roles and and personas that they have to to the to the massive sort of inconveniences and challenges and daily um daily duties of parenthood because that yeah in in as many ways as fatherhood is different now it's ultimately the same challenge, which is that we um, are no longer the top of the food chain. We are no longer the most important person in our lives. And that challenge remains the same, regardless of whether we're on Mars in a humidifier or whatever the hell it'll be for um, generations to come. Um, 2030, to, Yeah, it could be that soon. We could even be there ourselves. But I feel like there's uh, parenting is such an existential challenge it's such a fundamental human experience that all, i'd say 80 to 90 percent of it parents are still going to have the same problems that we do or the same challenges that we do in this one but that's a i think that's a poor answer i think i need to work better on that but i, I genuinely think that while circumstances and statistics and um these things can shift over time and while there's been a tipping point in this generation now that we are i feel like it's the tipping point between our generation and the next is going to be, or the the difference between, I'll give you a better answer. Maybe you can edit that part out. The, the, the main difference will be 
or the the similarity between our generation and the next generation will be that they will inherit this same um, degendered world, and they will inherit a world where fathers and mothers share um, parenting more equally, and that will be a wonderful thing and uh, hopefully Jeremy has a great line he says until it's I've got to get this right until it's unremarkable for a man to pair to to be the sole carer of his child it will be remarkable for a woman to remain in power in the workplace so until things like this are uh, achieved um then um, it's it's going to the balance isn't isn't going to be quite as as exciting as it'll be in the future. But I think by the time my kids are there, parenting will be more equal, and there'll be some major changes from what we've been through. Is there anything that you've read, watched, or listened to that's that's helped you in your parenting journey? Sorry, can you repeat that question? Is there anything that you've read, watched, or listened to that's helped you as a parent? Look, I did read a few books before I became a dad. Uh, none of them were very useful because I, I seem to, <laughs> they just seem to, as, as great as they were, it's just, it operates on a part of the brain that it, the absorption level wasn't deep enough for it to be useful when the moment came. Um, so, look, the, the most useful thing I've experienced is just the camaraderie of a group of dads going through the same thing. So that's what I, you know, there's, as you mentioned at the start, there's um, DGI, Dads Group International, there's Dads Inc., there's the Fathering Project. There's a real, there's more and more opportunity for fathers to to get out there and share their journey with other dads. That's what I'd say to do. Um, the breakthrough for me was meeting Luke and Jeremy and having such frank, frighteningly real conversations about how unfair fathering was and how hard it was, but how much we loved it. And that was that was the only thing that made a difference to me. I can't even remember the books now. I probably read 10 books. I can't remember a single one. I just remember thinking, what a waste of time. Why did I do that? Um, as if I could, it's sort of a human thing. You think that in preparation, you're going to, you know, you, you do it to to probably give yourself some sort of, um, some sort of feeling that you're, you're going to be able to cope, but um, you're not, and it's going to be great. And if you can find a bunch of guys that are going through the same thing, you'll all be of great use to each other. <laughs> I think I think we should get yourself, Jeremy, and Luke on. I reckon that'd be a pretty cool chat. Yeah, sure. We we love a chat. We um we yeah, the the banter's a bit out of control, but that's <laughs> uh that's part of the part of the joy. I'm up for that. Maybe a sneaky yeah. trip over east. Sure. Go to Monaco again. <laughs> you can call Chris and, and Matt and we'll make a make a weekend of it. Sure. Just no Pies fans, please. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember who, who Chris, Chris is. Uh, he's, a, he's a Victorian, so I can't remember who he supports. Just just wrapping yeah. up now as well, Andrew, what what do you love about parenting? What do I love about parenting? Oh, so many things. I think it's just the joy. It's the joy. It's, the, it's just the childish joy of of what kids bring to your day. You know, there's, we live in a, in a very serious and very depressing world 
a lot of the time. And I think that the adult world is is depleted of pleasures for me. It's uh, It's got not much for me. Um, I had a really, really good life. I had a great adulthood before kids. So I was kind of done with that. Um, and what the, what parenting brings me is just this unbridled joy. And like we said throughout this, it gets me back in touch with the, the sense that there could be something bigger and spirituality. And, and that's something that very few other things can get you closer to. So both deep things, but really getting home and, making up a game like like bandit does on bluey that's just my best afternoon and i can't wait to do it today that's an awesome way to put put it and and it is it's a beautiful journey isn't it it is it's bloody hard it's 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 absolutely shockingly hard and i i didn't get any sleep last night and i've had to come in and do all my usual things and i you know FML is a is a common phrase with my wife and I. I won't I won't explain that for the uh, older people. I'm but sure they can we, work it out. <laughs> I just think being entertaining about the way you complain about parenting is also a responsibility. You've got to make it funny. You can't just say this is actually terrible and I, I want to, you know, I want to die. You need to make it funny. And I think, um, you know, that's part of it. My, my wife and I are constantly trying to amuse each other with how... Uh, um, yeah, with our text messages about parenting. So that's, but that's that's a private little thing between us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's time to to plug off. How can how can listeners out there um, that maybe resonated with something you said or, or want to look into the fatherhood um, uh, more specifically? How can they they get in contact with yourself? Look, buy the book. The book um, is really, really readable. It's designed for dads who are sleepless and are utterly sleep deprived. So there's no long narrative. There's a short attention span needed. So get the book. I can vouch um, for that as well. Awesome read for anyone out there. <laughs> Definitely. It's, look, it's no, it's no um, Booker, man Booker winning masterpiece. It's, it's lots of short snippets, but from really great stories from a whole bunch of dads, from a very broad church of dads, we push a very broad church um we believe that every kind of dad deserves a voice and, and a place so do that um sign up to the fatherhood um newsletter the hyphen father hyphen hood.com uh there's a newsletter weekly and there's stories all the time um we're pretty gritty on there we don't pre- present any sort of a rosy view of how you should do things we don't lecture how to do anything to do with fatherhood we we get get in amongst the weeds with you guys there's some pretty um there's some pretty real stuff on there that I'm proud of. I'm proud that we we go there. Uh, and, yeah, just if you want fun videos of, of dads doing funny things and, you know, um, sexy dad bods, not the, not the bad kind, um, <laughs> get on uh, um, at the.father.hood on Instagram and Facebook. And there's, yeah, it, it's, that's more made for the entertaining stuff. Like we're, we, we, we're not trying not to be too earnest on our social media just because we, we know that everyone just wants a bit of a laugh in their day. And you that's can't take yourself, can't take yourself too seriously. That's why I love oh, we, we, we wouldn't have any doing. followers. No, we tend to, we just tend to put up stuff that makes us laugh or that inspires us in some funny way. Um, so yeah, it's not too heavy. We're at the end of the day, like, you know, it's uh, fatherhood is, is, uh, hard and fun and that's kind of what we that's the essence of what we're doing this has been been awesome andrew i, I really appreciate you making the time to, to jump on sandy ball parenting coming off your your sleepless night it's um it's something Pleasure. that yeah this topic is is very close to my heart and, and i'd love to to get you back on at some stage as well for sure look hey great questions and uh, really enjoy the chat um 
and good luck in your own journey and you know enjoy those uh you know enjoy those early years as, as i'm sure you are thanks andrew be well okay thanks a lot see you sean that was awesome mate thanks for that thank you for listening personally these interviews are providing time to reflect on my week as a parent let me know if anything stood out for you during the chat as the new pod on the block It would be great if you could look out for us and share this episode with someone you think who may be interested. While you're at it, why not head to our socials and show some love with a like or comment. Keep an eye out for the next pod drop. Big thanks to Steelo Media for producing this piece of art we call Sounding Board Parenting. From my heart to yours, I hope you're making progress on something you love and makes you feel alive. Remember, this can go anywhere.